The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Bereans. Happy Father's Day. You know, it's funny that fathers, the God-ordained head of the family, get to be honored one day in the middle of Pride Week. Isn't that special? Pride Month, yeah, I'm sorry, Pride Month. It's not a week, it's a month. Now, you know, I asked last week, who designated this Pride Month? Anybody know? Huh? No, wasn't Clinton. You're in the, you're in the right vein there, though. Barack Obama. He hosted a large gathering of homosexuals at the White House on June 29, 2009, and he proclaimed June as Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Month. So let's spend a month being proud of our degeneracy, okay? Now, let me just say, we will get back to our study of 2 Thessalonians soon, okay? After Pride Month, yeah. But I feel the need to address what's going on with this whole LGBTQ, elemental P push, all right? Because what we have to understand as believers is there's a war being waged against marriage and against the family. That's what this is all about. And on one side, those, there are those who are trying to preserve the family, and on the other side, there's those who are just trying to destroy God's design. Now, I want to talk for the next couple of weeks about the role of the wife and the role of the husband. So I've already been asked this morning, it's Father's Day, why are you doing the role of the wife? Because it's Father's Day, I'm trying to be nice to the fathers, okay? So next week, fathers, it's our turn, okay? But today, it's, it's the woman's turn. And here's why I'm doing this, because I believe that if Christians live out God's purpose for our lives, we will be a testimony, we will be a light to the world. And when we don't live out our proper biblical roles, we're destroying the family just as well as these LGBTQ people, okay? It's an attack because we're ignoring the God-given roles He put in our life. California, you know, it's a great place for morality and all that good stuff, right? The California Senate Judicial Committee just heard and passed Assembly Bill 957 by Assemblywoman Lori Wilson. And it says this, A parent could lose custody for not affirming or agreeing to a child's claims about gender identity. So parents could be charged with child abuse, a criminal penalty, penalty, if they so much as object to their child's preferred pronouns. This bill passed, okay, in California. Why anybody's still in that state, I don't have a clue, okay? New Mexico Governor Michelle Grisham just signed a law that will permit minors access to sexual change care. How is that care changing yourself? How is that caring for anybody? And abortions without parental knowledge or consent. So kids can have a sex change. They don't even need to ask their parents. You can't give a child an aspirin in school without some note or, you know, but they can have their sex change. April 26, 2023. 
a transgender state lawmaker in Minnesota introduced a measure that would remove language from the state's Human Rights Act that currently declares pedophiles are not included in protections based on sexual orientation. And here's what it says. It says, sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult. They're removing that language because they, they, this is the goal, okay? This is the goal. This is our White House last week, people. Center stage, the gay flag, all right? Yes, it's a direct, well, there's so many violations of the law, we can't even count them, okay? There's no point in even trying to keep up with how many laws they're already violating, all right? They're doing all they can to normalize sexual perversion. All they can. From the fact of legalizing same-sex marriage, and that's an oxymoron. You can't have the same sex and have marriage. Marriage is God's design. It's a man, it's a woman. That's all there is to it, all right? To normalizing transgenderism. They want to make trans kids... And their goal, basically, is to legalize pedophilia in America. That's what they're after. You know why? Because so many of these officials, these lawmakers, are pedophiles. So they want to normalize it so they don't have to get in trouble. Why do you think Epstein's client list has never been exposed yet? Who do you think is covering that up? The United Nations already has a legal justification ready to go. Published April 17, 2023, the UN-backed legal recommendations normalize sex with minors. Children may consent to sex with adults. This has been their plan all along. And they got all these, you know, what in the world is it? I don't even get it. You know, wanting to read books to children. Why is that? And listen, what parent in their right mind sends their kid to sit on a lap of some of these things? You can't even tell what it is. It's just, it's beyond sick, okay? And here's what we have to understand as Christians. The basic building block of society is the family. And the family is under attack. They don't know what is a man and what is a woman anymore, okay? I heard something, read something the other day that said lesbians, they are uh, non-men who are attracted to non-men, because they, we can't even use the woman anymore, okay? Because it's, no one knows what that is. So now it's a non-man attracted to a non-man. That's what a lesbian is. <clears throat> it just keeps getting crazier and sicker. And all this immorality threatens the family, and thus it threatens society. Because the family is the backbone of the church. And if we don't have strong, godly families, we're not going to have strong, godly churches. The family is under attack. Public education in America is godless and it's man-centered. And today women are leaving the home for the workplace to allow the state to raise our children. The God-given roles of husband and wife are being abandoned by those who call themselves Christians. That's the problem here, people. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at God-ordained roles for the family. And because when we forsake these roles... We ourselves do damage, destruction to the family. And I want you to notice as we look at these roles, God gives roles to men and women. And for the men, it's directed towards the wife. For the wife, it's directed towards the husband. 
There's no rules God gives for husbands to love their husbands or wives to love their wives or to submit because there's none of that nonsense in the Bible. It doesn't recognize any of that. A marriage is a man and a woman. It will always be that. It will never be anything else. So in order to preserve the family, we need to be obeying the God-given principles for the family. We need to be image bearers to the world. This is what a family is supposed to be. And that only happens as we obey and follow the rules that God has laid out for the family. And for the most part, people, we have abandoned these. I dare say today's message is going to seem almost barbaric to most people. Because we've been so moved by our society that God's standards just seem like, what in the world planet are you living on? Okay? And today we're going to look at the role of the wife. And next week, don't, ladies, don't get mad yet. Wait till you hear next week, okay? We're going to look at the role of the husband. And I promise you, I'll lay it out as clearly as I'm trying to lay this out today. <laughs> but before we get started laying out these verses that deal with the family, we have to back up in the text of Ephesians just a little bit, because here's what I want you to understand. None of this is possible. None of this stuff that God asks is, is possible unless we are controlled by the Spirit of God. This is not normal. This is not natural. This is supernatural living, but as Christians, that's what we're called to. All right? In Ephesians 5.18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you compare Ephesians 5.18-21 through 21 and Colossians 3.16-18, to 18, it becomes very clear that these are parallel texts because the results of both are the same. In Colossians, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the results of being filled with the Spirit is the same as the result of letting the Word of Christ dwell in one's life. Therefore, the two are the same reality viewed from different sides. So in order to be filled with the Spirit, you have to be controlled by the Word. And when Paul says, be filled, this is a command. The word filled is the Greek word plerao, which means controlled. Believers are called to be controlled by the Spirit. It's a command. So the question is, well, how are we controlled by the Spirit? Well, the Spirit's control is not automatic. It's not mechanical. The Spirit control is brought about by means, and the means is the Word of God. You have to be in the Word. We appropriate the controlling grace of the Spirit through the means of letting the Word of Christ dwell within us. We don't know what God wants if we're not spending time in the Word. And listen, if you read your Bible cover to cover, good. You forgot most of what you read, so start over and get back going, okay? And that's why you continually do it. We tend to forget. We need more people than a casual acquaintance with the Bible. God's Word is to dwell in us richly, abundantly. It's to saturate us. It has to become part of our being that it'll transform the way we think and transform the way we act. And that's where it all begins. So the biblical roles in the family are a byproduct of being controlled by the Spirit. Now, as we look at these roles in marriage, you need to ask yourself some really important questions. Does your relationship with Christ make a difference in these relationships? 
What difference does it make? And Paul gives us some very practical instructions that will enable us to have marriages that honor him. Now, if you follow this text through, one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is submission. In 5.21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some have derived from this verse the teaching of mutual submission. Have you ever heard of that? You know what that means? Everybody submits to everybody. Is that one of the dumbest things? You know, if you know anything about military, okay, and you know anything about orders, okay, that's not how submission works. Okay, there's a rank, there's an authority. Okay? Every believer doesn't submit to every other believer. The word submit here is the word hupotasso, which is a military term. All right? And it functions to describe one directional subordination to an authority rather than a symmetrical relationship. By definition, mutual submission rules out hierarchical differences. In other words, in mutual submission, if that's a reality between husband and wife, then it's a contradiction to say the husband has a special responsibility to lead and the wife has a special responsibility to support that leadership. <clears throat> if this is teaching mutual submission, then parents, you can tell your children, it's time to go to bed. And the kids say, fine, but it's time for you to go to bed too. Mutual submission. You submit to me, I submit to you. It doesn't work that way, people. Okay? You know, you can't, you know, you got a, <clears throat> a captain in the Navy, and he comes up to a chief and he says, uh, Chief, I need you to do this. Okay, I'll do that, but here's what I need you to do. Captain says, What? I don't care what you, you don't tell me what to do. This is not mutual. We don't go back and forth. How would you ever fight a war? How would you ever have anything if that's mutual submission? It's nonsense. But people want to push that because they want to do away with this woman submission thing. Oh, everybody's supposed to submit. So submission is a result of the spirit-controlled life. Now Paul explains this submission and how it works out in the family. And in chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, he begins giving us the role of the Christian wife. It's another reason we're talking about the wife today, not the husband. This is how God does it, all right? He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Now, verse 22 literally reads this way, Women, be subject to your own men as to the Lord. Because in the Greek language, there's no distinctive terms that correspond to our words husband and wife. They don't have those words. But the reference to a married person is unmistakable. Now, the word submit here, again, this is hupotasso. It comes from two words, hupo, which means under, and tasso, which means to set in place. In other words, the word means set something in place up underneath something else. In the context, it's talking about submitting to the authority of someone else. So Paul's saying to the wives, be willing to place yourself in a position under the authority of your husband as head of the family. Hupotasso here is in the present tense. That indicates it is to be a lifestyle of the wife. It doesn't say, wife, once in a while, submit to your own. It's a lifestyle, continual, it's present tense. You keep submitting. 
The mood here is imperative, which indicates this is a command, not a suggestion. And finally, it's in the middle voice, which signifies that the wife initiates the act of submitting and participates in the effects of the results of her submission. This is something she initiates, not something the husband forces her to do. She does this. It conveys the idea of the wife putting herself under the authority of her husband, not by compulsion, but willingly. Okay, already we should have lost a lot of people, okay, talking about wives and submission. I know people can't handle this today. It's so far out. Again, the middle voice also conveys a reflexive sense and can be translated, subject yourselves. Now, in any case, the idea of submission of the wife is that of a voluntary attitude and action based on one's recognition of Yahweh's ordained order. It cannot be forced upon her by anybody, by her husband, by some despot. It's something she has to willingly partake in. So Paul says that the wife is submit to her own husband, as opposed to men in general, okay? And it's significant that whenever the New Testament addresses the subject of Christian marriage, it always commands the wife to be subject to the husband, using the same verb as here, but it never commands the husband to be subject to the wife. Now, when I do marriage counseling, I always go over this issue because, you know, for for most women, it's a foreign concept, but this is how the Christian family is supposed to operate. Women are supposed to submit to their husband. And every time I do a wedding service, I bring this in. And every time I do a wedding service, I have someone that comes to me afterwards and says, that was really a nice service, but I don't know about that submission thing. And I tell them, I didn't write that book, okay? Ephesians was written by God, okay? So you take it up with God. Sure enough, last, last Saturday I did a wedding, and as I was leaving, I was helping this elderly lady walk back because the ground was pretty unsteady. And she goes, I don't know about that submission thing. <laughs> I said, thank you. I needed someone to say that to me. So I keep my record as a perfect record that every wedding I do, someone comments on that, okay? But it's foreign, It is foreign to our culture, all right? It just is. Submission is lining up under authority and involves respect and involves obedience. Now, notice what Paul says when he sums up the counsel in verse 33. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, he repeats that the husband is to love his wife from verse 25, But rather than saying the wife is to submit to her husband, he says that she must respect him. So we could say that submission involves respect. Now, often commentators will try to make a distinction between submission and obedience and say that the wives are never commanded to obey their husbands. Let's just think about the word, hupotasso, line up under authority. Okay, so what does the captain in the Navy tell the chief in the Navy? Does he make suggestions? Well, if you would like to do this, I would appreciate... No, he tells him, and what does the chief supposed to do? Obey! It's built into the whole concept, all right? But people want to say, well, it doesn't really say that. They claim the word obey doesn't appear in the Scripture in respect to wives, and they use this as their argument that they say, well, children and slaves are called to hupokuo, That's obey. Wives are called the hupotasso, which they say is not obedience, 
But first of all, let's, we already dispelled that, but look what Strong says. Strong's Concordance says, Hupotasso, to subordinate, reflexively to obey, be under obedience. I mean, if you're lining up under authority, the authority's giving commands and you're obeying the commands. That's the whole thing, all right? That's how it works. We submit to someone who has authority over us. Now, when commentators state the word obey does not appear in Scripture with respect to wives, they miss the fact that the Bible uses hupokuo, obey, when it speaks about Sarah in 1 Peter. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I've been working on this for years, calling my wife Sarah, because I wanted to respond, yes, Lord. It hasn't worked yet. <laughs> I'm going to keep trying, okay? Don't give up, man. There's hope, all right? So Peter writes that Sarah obeyed, hupokuo, her husband. Then he says that women are to follow her example. This necessarily implies that we must equally apply hupokuo, obey, to all wives, in addition to the verse itself, either equates hupotasso, submit, with hupokuo, obey, or assumes that hupotasso, submit, implies hupokuo, obey. Since it says, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed, she submitted by obedience. That's what submission is, okay? You can't get around it. These women were submissive like Sarah who obeyed. Thus, the two terms seem to be used synonymously. Paul says the wife is to be subject to her husband, as to the Lord. Now, they argue about who the Lord is in this phrase, because Thomas Aquinas, among others, he argues that a wife is to be subject to her husband as a Lord. Okay? But since the adverbial phrase, as to the Lord, in two other uses in the New Testament, refers to Christ and not man, it's reasonable to think that it also refers to Christ here. Again, if we look up the parallel text in Colossians, I think it helps clear this up for us. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, as is fitting is the Greek word here, anesko. And anesko means something is fitting or right to do. It is proper. It is one's duty. So Inesco is used of actions that are due to someone. It conveys the ultimate meaning of moral obligation. This word is used in Philemon 1, 8 and 9, where Paul writes, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, that is Inesco. It denotes not merely that which is fitting, but that which is almost legally obligatory, it's a necessary duty. So he says it's required. It's required that a wife does this in the Lord. The Greek form in this phrase expresses an obligation. This is how Yahweh designed and commands the family to operate. Now listen, wives. The reason why you are to submit to your husband is not because he's the best leader in the world. It's not because he deserves it. You know very well that sometimes <laughs> that's not true at all. You think that's the dumbest decision I ever heard, all right? The reason why you're to submit is not because he deserves it, it's because Christ deserves it. 
That's why you're submitting. It's fitting in the Lord. It's required. It's because you have died and have been raised with Christ that you set your mind on things above and you put to death the things that belong to your earthly sinful self and out of your gratitude towards Yahweh, you can submit to Him in the name of Yeshua, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's not because you love your husband that much, but it is because you love your Lord that much. That's the key. As I love the Lord, I'm willing to do whatever He tells me to do. And a wife's love for Christ motivates her to submit to her husband. So she looks at God's Word. She's a student of Scripture. Because if she's not a student of Scripture, she cannot be filled with the Spirit of God and she'll never carry this out. The Scripture has a role to play in our obedience to Christ. And she gets into the Word and she knows that Ephesians 5.22 says... You wives, you need to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Yeshua said in John 14, 21, If you love me, keep my commands. And she says, out of loving you, Lord, I'm going to do what you have told me to do. That's the motivation for submission. It is as to the Lord. Hopefully, wise, that makes it a little easier. Now, the society that Paul's writing to in the city of Ephesus was within the bounds of the Roman Empire. And we need to understand that cultural backdrop here was a woman in that society was unimportant. They had no authority at all in the home. Their only duties that they had were preparing food and bearing children. Men could do as they pleased within the home in Rome. But a Christian home, a home that is now coming on the scene through Paul and the preaching of the gospel within the Roman Empire... This was a new thing. This is a a new man, a new people. And within the New Testament, you find the elevation of women to a position of honor, respect, and dignity. Talk about that next week. And that's a product not of the women's liberation movement. That's a product of Christ and Christianity. Verse 33 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now first let me say, this is not a command. This is a statement of fact. Okay, The husband is the head of the wife. That's a fact. That's it. In God's eyes. Now some husbands are weak. Some husbands are ineffective. Some husbands are soy boys. They're just plain lousy leaders. Okay, But they're still in that position of authority. Because the husband is the head of the wife, he finds himself in a position of inescapable leadership. The husband is the head. What's that mean? Well, head here is the Greek word kaphale. And those of the so-called evangelical feminism say that head here does not carry the meaning of leadership or authority at all. Instead, they say it means source. Somewhat like the use of the word fountainhead or the head of a river. It's the source of something. Well, Wayne Grudem did a study of the word kaphale in the history of the Greek language. And he said every time it doesn't speak of a specific task, like, for example, the head waiter. Every time it doesn't speak of a specific task, it is used in terms of relationship and always means authority. Always. It never means 
anything else. Kafele metaphorically means government or authority. Head here clearly means authority. Notice how Paul uses it in Ephesians 1.22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. All right, Yeshua's head of all things to the church. Now look at our verse again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So the husband's the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church, and head here means authority. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul declares the principle of headship that is to govern the people of God for all time. And here's the principle. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The word head, kafale. Now when head is used figuratively as it is here, it refers to priority and function. That is what the head of our body does. It runs the body. It's in charge. It's the direction setter of the body. Used metaphorically, therefore, the word head means primarily leadership. And thus it's used in this passage. Now this statement is clearly made that Christ is the head, and His head is God the Father. The head of Christ is God. Now, so the statement is made that we have a head, our head is Christ, the woman has a head, which is the husband, the man. Now let me ask you a question. As Christians, if God is the head of Christ, are we to assume that Christ is inferior to God? No, absolutely not, okay? We know the Scriptures that teach Yeshua is the second person of the Trinity. He's equal with the Father in all things that make up deity, and yet at the same time, the Father is the head of Christ. The hierarchy here is God, Christ, man, woman. God and the Messiah are equally divine, but there's a subordination of function. And so too, man and woman are spiritually equal. But one ranks above another in function. So when Paul says to the wife, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, he means simple submission, not inferiority. It doesn't suggest in any way that the woman is inferior to the man, but she has a certain relationship for a specific purpose. And at the end of verse 23, Paul says, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, most commentators understand that this clause refers solely to Christ, but some see this as referring to both Christ and the husband. I see it as referring solely to Christ because the personal pronoun autos is in apposition to Christ, and it's emphatic by its presence and its position. So this personal pronoun emphasizes Christ's exclusive work as Savior of the body. Plus, nowhere in the context is the wife viewed as the husband's body. But that's some people want to try to make it say that. Verse 24, he says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. I don't think any Christian would argue that the church is to submit to Christ. Right? Anybody want to argue about that? You read through the feminist literature that wants to overturn all this, and you won't find even anybody there of the evangelical brand that says, well, the church doesn't have to submit to Christ at all. 
So if the church is to submit to Christ, then the wife is to submit to her husband because that's what it uses here as the analogy. That's the model. Well, in what area are wives to be subject to their husbands? In what areas is the church to be subject to Christ? Everything. In the Greek, that means everything. Okay? I know you women are cringing right now. I'm sorry, okay? I didn't make this up. All right, this is just God's Word, okay? Here's the funny thing. When you obey God's Word, your life is a lot easier and a lot happier, you know? Now, when he says in everything, that's what he means, everything, except things that are unbiblical or illegal. See, a husband has no right to try to force his wife to do something that's unbiblical or illegal. You've heard me tell the story when we, when we, got, when we left the church, when we became preterists. <clears throat> the elders that remained at the church told a woman there that she was not allowed to read her Bible. Because they came to her and said, you need to stop listening to Dave Curtis. And she goes, I'm not. I'm getting what he's saying from my Bible. And they said, then you need to stop reading your Bible. And so she did for about two weeks, and then she says, this is an unlawful order. You can't tell me I can't read my Bible. And she started reading it again. But I, I mean, those are, these are elders of a church condemning us who say, stop reading your Bible. Yeah. Kind of sick, huh? We notice, we need, and, and ladies, that's important because you have to understand your husband can't give you unbiblical orders. You, you can't demand of you things that are unbiblical or things that are illegal. We need to notice something very important about this passage. And I'm talking to you men now. Who's this addressed to? It's not addressed to husbands. We'll get to that next week, okay? And this is important because what usually happens is the husband reads this and says, ha ha, this is what you need to do, woman. He gets out his club, his caveman outfit, and he starts, you know, making demands. No, this is written to the wife. It is illegal to read someone else's mail, or at least it should be. Husbands, it's not written to you, we'll get to you. This is directions for the wives. This is what the wives are supposed to do. Alright? And women, please understand that this text in Ephesians is not an isolated text. Alright? This is not the only time in the New Testament the wives are told to submit to their husbands. The idea of the wife's submission is taught all through the Bible. It's not only to be seen in the home, it's to be seen in the church also. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this. I was listening to a podcast and someone was saying, 1 Timothy is a pseudepigraphal work. And I'm like, what? I mean, the liberal scholars will say that. I don't know of any conservative scholar that says Timothy is pseudepigraphal. Okay? First of all, you don't have pseudepigraphal works done this close to the original author. All right? So Paul's still alive, and someone's writing pseudepigraphal stuff and put Paul's name on it. That, none of that works, okay? So this is Paul writing. This is part of the Word of God. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now this verse gives us the woman's role in the church. She's not to rule. She's, she can't be an elder in the church. She's not to teach men, a doctrinal teacher of men, and it says she is to remain quiet. Now, the silence there means not being a teacher. Now, many today would say, well, this is just cultural, right? 
<clears throat> this was their culture. It doesn't apply to us today. But Paul in this text says this is how God designed it from creation. So Paul goes on to say, in verse 13 and 14, for Adam, okay, get the first two verses. The women, you be submissive. You're not to teach. You're not to exercise authority. Why? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. All right? So the woman's the one who's deceived. She becomes a transgressor. All right, let's go back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 11. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So Paul here gives the reason for the woman's subjection. Adam was formed first. Man was made for God, but the woman was made for the man. Boy, that would get our culture upset too, wouldn't it? First of all, they don't know what a woman is, so they don't they never understand this. But the people who did, the woman was made for the man. That's what the Word of God says. Yahweh could have created Adam and Eve simultaneously. He could have just spoke the word, there's Adam, there's Eve. But he didn't do that. She was to be a helper suitable for him to assist him in his God-given task. So the roles in marriage are not culturally determined. They're ordained by God at creation. Specific duties within a household are flexible. And they can be worked out in the marriage for mutual good of the couple. But the role of the husband as the head and the role of the wife as subject to him are fixed. Unalterable, unchangeable from the God of creation. Now the priority of creation places man in a position of authority over the woman. Eve was made for the sake of Adam to be his helper. Genesis 2.18 Then Yahweh God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. You know, this verse stands out so strongly to me about the importance of a woman for a man. Because he said, It's not good for man to be alone. He's in the garden with the God of all creation, with the Trinity, with the divine council, fellowshipping with the divine family of God. And God said, that's not good that he's alone. He needs a woman. He needs a woman. So I'm going to make him a helper. That's powerful to me. Powerful to me. I'll make him a helper fit for him. She's to be his helper. She's to be his glory. 1 Corinthians eleven seven. 7. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. So the principle of headship is something true from the beginning of mankind. By virtue of creation, there's a difference which puts man above the woman in terms of function. A difference we should never forget. And again, all these roles and all this function speaks against the modern culture that we see today, all against this LGBT stuff. This is all not even hinted at in anywhere because this is not how it works out, okay? Man is uniquely created to bear the image of God as a ruler who was given a sphere of sovereignty. Both men and women were created in God's image. But as Paul points out in verse 8, the original creation was from the dust of the ground, it was Adam only. 
Eve was created later to be part of Adam, from part of Adam himself. The male was given the dominion and authority over God's created world and is by that fact the glory of God. And the woman is the glory of man because woman was made to manifest man's authority as man was made to manifest God's authority. The woman is a vice regent who rules instead of man or carries out man's will just as man is God's vice regent who rules instead or carries out God's will. Charles Hodge wrote this, She receives and reveals what there is of majesty in him. She always assumes his station, becomes a queen if he's king, and manifests to others the wealth and honor which may belong to her husband. Verse 8 says, For the man was not made from woman, but woman from man. The man is created directly for God. The woman, on the other hand, was made specifically for the man. She was created on his account, not he on hers. God could have simultaneously, as we said, created Adam and Eve, as he did the animals, but he created Adam first and then Eve. He made this distinction for all time, and with it he reveals the design and the purpose of the sexes. Man was created, I mean woman was created under the headship of man. Now it's interesting that the church and also the woman were formed out of a husband. See, in the Torah, when Eve was created by God, she was created out of Adam. God took a rib of Adam. Out of the rib, he formed Eve, his wife. Paul uses that as a reason for submission because she has a secondary existence from Adam. And the church, similarly, the church has come into existence in a similar way, for the church is the product of the work of the Lord Yeshua the Christ. And just as Adam was by God put into a deep sleep, a divine anesthetic, so to speak, and out of that picture of death, Eve was created. So Yeshua on Calvary's cross there died for sinners, and out of His death there might be created the basis for the existence of the Christian church. So both the wife and the church have been formed out of their husbands. Women's subjection is tied to creation, and it's tied to the fall. In 1 Timothy 2.14, he says, And Adam was not deceived. He went into this eyes wide open, okay? The woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So Eve is the first one to fall. And Eve's fall occurred when she ignored her divinely ordained position. Instead of following her husband, she took the lead. Women, I hope you can see the seriousness here of not submitting to the husband. She took the lead and wiped out the human race, okay? Now, in Romans 5, 12 through 21, it places the blame on Adam because he followed his wife. See, God created us to be leaders, not the followers. And when we fail to do this, when we follow our wives instead of lead, it causes a lot of problems. Eve needed protection. She needed a head. And Adam was a follower here. She acted independently. She was deceived and she fell. And the fall was caused by a violation of the God-ordained roles of the sexes. She took authority and he submitted. Now let's go to Titus and we see how seriousness, how seriously God views submission in Titus 2, 4, and 5. He says, so train the young women. This is older women have the responsibility. Train the young women to love their husbands. 
Isn't that weird? We gotta, these women need to be trained to love their husbands. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submission, submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. So they're to train the woman to be submissive so that the Word of God is not reviled. The word submissive here again is hupotassos. Ladies, when you don't submit to your husband's authority, you are dishonoring the Word of God. Now let me say it again. Submission is not inferiority. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches there is one God who subsists in three persons who are themselves equal in power, authority, and possession of divine attributes. To say that submission means inferiority is heretical. Okay? Because it would imply the inferiority of the Son to the Father. Because He submits to the Father. But the submissive wife, as I say it again, she makes a choice to place herself as an equal underneath the authority of another equal, her husband, in order that there can be order and function in the family. And if you want to have a proper functioning family wives, you need to make up your mind you're going to live in a state of submissiveness to your husband no matter how dumb his decisions may be. And he can make some dumb decisions. Right, honey? (laughs) Yes, Lord. (laughs) That would have been a good time to say it, all right? It's really clear in Scripture that the men's responsibility is to lead. And the woman's responsibility is to submit. And I think that most Christians understand this. Now, this is what I'm going to... Here's where I'm going to get in trouble, okay? Most Christians understand this, but my personal belief is that in most Christian homes, the woman is running the show. Uh, Just based on observation, okay? Most women are running the show. She's not submitting, she's leading. And people, it's a constant struggle. And there can only be harmony when believers, again, are controlled by the Spirit of God. Submission is a sign of the Spirit's control in your life. And Paul wants wives to know that it's not only how God made things to be, but He made things this way for our good. He's not trying to you know, give us a hard time. He's, this is the way it's supposed to function. His is a divinely given order for the household. And when His order is reversed, when the roles are reversed, just like Adam and Eve in the fall, the result is always destruction. Not only of the man, but of the wife. And so He calls for a recognition of the divine given order of the household. Now let me say a word to those single ladies in here. The husband is the established authority under the laws of the divine order. So any woman who thinks of getting married should make sure that the man she's about to marry is someone that she can submit to, a man that she can line up under his authority. And you have to make the decision, do I want to be under the authority of this man for life? So if you think he's kind of dumb and not too smart and not, you know, think again, okay? Because you're putting yourself, as a Christian woman, under his authority. Let me ask you this, believers. How can you tell who's the leader in the home? 
there any ways you can spot this maybe? Let me give you a couple. Again, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but who's making the decisions? Leaders make decisions. Now, this doesn't mean that a husband has to make every decision, but he is responsible for every decision made, okay? With the children, if the husband and wife disagree on a certain course of action, whose decision should be followed? Demands. Leaders are to make decisions as to the finances, the church, schooling of the children. Women, how you respond when your husband makes a decision that you disagree with that is really dumb? Do you line up under it? Do you say, God, <laughs> I'm going to follow your ordained order and follow my husband? Let me tell you a personal story. Years ago, I, I, I started a business because I wanted to get some kind of retirement because I had nothing with the church, so I wanted to get a retirement, so I started a car business, and it kind of started small, and you know, it kind of grew and grew, and um, we took out, a lo- our house was about paid for, and we took out equity loan on our house to keep this business going, and of course, my wife had to sign it, and she's like, I don't think this is a good idea. She was not for it at all. But she signed the papers. And not too long after that, 2008 came around. The economy collapsed. We lost $180,000. So your house is almost paid for, and now we had to refinance our house and basically start over again. That was a really dumb decision on my part. But, and she had to bear the consequences of it, but... She signed the papers because she knew this is what she was supposed to do as a submissive wife. Now, men, if you're smart, you'll listen to your wife and you'll get counsel on decisions that you do make, okay? I mean, you'll talk to her. They say the husband's the head, the wife's the neck that turns the head, okay? So you get some response from her, you get some input from her, you know, you're living together, it's your household, you want to work together as possible. But here's the bottom line. You're going to disagree on things. Right? And you're going to talk about it, and the woman's going to say, well, I think that's a dumb idea. I think we should do this. And then you say, I hear you. I'm going this way. And it's not that I don't, you know, we don't hear the wives. It's we just disagree, and we have to make the decision. And the wives have to live with it. And that's, I can be, I can't imagine sometimes. But again, if you're not controlled by the Spirit of God, this is not going to work out. It's just not, okay? It's not a natural course, all right? So leaders make decisions, those in submission follow those decisions. So just look at who's making the decisions in the home. And like I said, these can be delegated, you know. My wife takes care of all our finances. I'm responsible for those finances. Yeah, except for that one time. (laughs) Yeah, I took the lead and uh, the house crumbled, okay. Yes. Secondly. Listen to the speech. Those in submission don't give imperatives. Okay? You're not going to hear a chief telling the commanding officer, give me a cup of coffee. Why? Because you don't you give commands to subordinates, not authorities. So does your speech betray you? Are you telling your husband what to do? Are you bossing him around? 
And ladies, if you think this is not happening, just open your eyes. I mean, I, you know, I see young couples get married and the husband's trying to be the head and the wife beats them up because of it. And after a while, the husband just gets tired and says, I quit. I'll be submissive. And then, the mar- then they have, you know, peace in the marriage and they go on that way. But again, it's a violation of the biblical order. Now, let, let me, let's try to deal with this. Why is it this way? Why is there such rebellion against God-ordained priorities of male leadership in the church and in the family? Why is, it so con- why is it so hard? Why is it difficult for the woman to just submit to the man? I think the answer is found in Genesis. Genesis 3.16. This is after the fall. And God said to the woman, He said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, some really dumb people, I think, and you know, some guy called me proud last week because I said a view was dumb. It's dumb. I'm going to call dumb dumb, okay? So I think it's dumb. But they'll say, what this means, guys, you can tell me if you agree with me if this is dumb. What this means is the woman really sexually desires the man, but he's going to rule over her. <laughs> that, that's a desire the desire of the woman she just wants you know, because it says I'm going to give you pain in childbirth but doesn't matter because the woman just wants you okay and you shall rule over her alright that's uh, this is the new American standard translation now the ESV I think really gets this correct in pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be contrary to your husband yeah, and he shall rule over you. Okay, again, many based on the New Americans say, it's just normal for a wife to have a strong sexual and psychological dependence on her husband. That's normal for her to desire the man and for the man to rule over her. Well, the Hebrew word for desire here is tashuka, and this Hebrew word is only used one other time in the Torah. It's used twice in the Tanakh. It's used once in Ecclesiastes. But it's a different sense. And here, let's go to the other use in the Torah. In Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, the best textual rendering of this verse is, Sin will desire to master you, Control you, but you must master it. That's 4-7, okay? Sin wants to master you. You know that's true. The word desire used here is the same word as 3-16. Therefore, 3-16 can rightly be read this way. To the woman, he said, your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That's where the battle of the sexes comes from, people. God said it. Your desire is going to be to rule your husband, control your husband, make sure he does what you want him to, but he is put in charge over you. And there can only be harmony, again, when believers are controlled by the Spirit. So according to Paul, there is no possibility of a married woman's surrender 
to Christ and which is not made visible by actual submission to her earthly husband. And this directive is not mine. This is not coming from the Puritans. It's not even Paul's. And when it's ignored, it doesn't make life better for women. It actually makes life worse. And I could argue that many of the stresses and the strains on the family today are precisely due to disagreeing or ignoring this particular directive. This is how we're designed to exist as Christians. This is how the Christian family is to run. And when we don't do it this way, we are part of destroying the family. So whether our culture agrees with Scripture or not, and whether we agree with Paul or not, the clear teaching of the text, supported by other equally clear instructions from Scripture, is that wives are to be subject to their own husbands in everything. People, again, please understand, this is supernatural living. Just like when God says, love your enemies. This is supernatural. But women, this is your calling. This is your role. And as you're controlled by the Spirit, this role can be lived out. We have to understand that the Christian home is the outpost of Christianity. And God places us in this environment to represent Him here on the earth. We are representatives. We are image bearers of God. And so when people look at us, they should see the biblical roles fleshed out in their lives. If someone were to say to me, well, how does the church submit to Christ? I should be able to point to Kaylin and say, look at Kaylin. Look at how she submits to Jeremy. That's how the church is to submit to Christ. That's what marriage is about. It's an example of Christ in the church. So when people look at the family, well, look at the way that husband loves his wife. That's how Christ loves the church. Look at how she submits. That's how the church is to submit to Christ. That's what the Christian marriage, the Christian family is all about. And when we don't live that way, we ourselves damage the family. So it's not just this LGBT crowd that's doing damage. They're trying. But more damage is being done by Christians not following the principles of the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today for Your Word. Lord, I know this is hard. I know this is uncomfortable for so many people. Almost seeming barbaric to us because our culture has so influenced our thinking. God, give us clear thinking. Help us to realize we need to be controlled by Your Spirit as we pour over the Word of God, as we spend time daily, regularly in the Word of God. Let it control us as the Spirit directs and guides us. Lord, that we would be image bearers of You, that when the world looks at us, it looks at our families, it sees Christ. Thank You, Father, for Your grace to us. Amen. Questions, <laughs> comments, arrows, slings, stones. It's, it seems like when you, take, when you consider that uh, the Bible also tells us in Genesis there's going to be a one flesh relationship between man and woman, that there's going to be unity, there's going to be oneness of mind, and, uh, at least that's the goal, then it would seem that tradition would be less hard if, if, if that's the case. So, I mean, when you, when you ask, who makes the decisions? It seems like decisions should be made together. 
But, you know, at some point, somebody's got to lead. Maybe I would say final decision. And I would agree with that. I think that, you know, decision, like I said, if you're a smart husband, if you've got any sense at all, you're going to consider her in the decisions you make. But bottom line is, when you disagree, you've got to make the choice. You've got to make the decision, and you've got to live with the consequences of your decision. It might be a dumb, I've made dumb decision. I had to live with the consequence, okay? And the sad thing is here, she had to live with the consequences of my dumb mistake. But she did it, okay, because that's her calling. Hopefully God gives her enough grace to, you know, deal with the, the dumb decisions I have to make. But, you know, I didn't set this up, okay? I didn't ask to be the head. Um, but again, I think uh, just in a good relationship, he, a husband confers with the wife, they talk about it, they get her input. Because a lot of times you think you're right about something until somebody else says, did you consider this? And you're like, oh, my word. That just blows my whole plan there, you know? So it's good to get some counsel. It's, you know, especially you're making some major decisions. This is from Norm David. He said, the majority of Christians today are addicted to mediocre, generactic, gener- <laughs> pablum. They wax elegant in theological fare and intellectual pap, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age. Thank you for weaning us and giving us the strong meat every week. You are indeed a good shepherd. Uh, thank you, Norm. I, I appreciate that. Uh-oh, we're going back to the Watchers. If the Watchers were giants because they were half God, half men, is Yeshua an even bigger giant since He's fully God and fully men? Does it cancel? That's from last week. Okay. Based. That's the comment from this week. Based. Based on what? I don't know. I don't know what that means. Okay. What's based mean? I don't, huh? The opposite of woke? Okay, I'll take it. I'm definitely opposite woke, so whatever that is, okay. I guess I'm cisgender too and didn't know that either, you know, so. Uh, I don't know who this is from, but someone says, Christ should be the neck that turns the head, not the woman. <laughs> I agree. I am a woman. Thank God for you in teaching His Word. Well, from a woman, thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to you, Dave. What is the correct truth about women that say they are a pastor, teacher, etc.? Thanks. Well, I think we dealt with that this morning. Okay? I think Timothy dealt, deals with that. A woman can't rule in the church. She is called to submission. Why? Because Eve was deceived, not Adam. That's what Paul says in Timothy. All right, that's, that's the direction. And we did this not long ago. We did a series on prophets, and we talked about women prophetess. We went into the whole thing, and God uses men in the church and in the family. Okay, that's his setup, um, not mine. Anybody else? We done? Can they be deacons? Deaconesses. In, in, in my opinion, Okay, and I think I can support this exegetically uh, from the text that a woman can be a deaconess. Okay, deaconess is a servant. 
you know, and when Paul talks about and deacons and he says and their wives, he's keeping it in the same category. So deacons, this, the wives can be, a deacon is a servant, okay? Who would be a better servant than a woman, okay? They just seem to naturally do that, you know? So yes, I think, uh, I think a woman can be a deacon. Uh, I think the Bible's clear on that. <clears throat> 